Let us now read together what we confess in our confessions. And let's first read from the Canons of Dort, the third and fourth Heads of Doctrine, the Articles 1, 2, and 3. You can find that on page 522 of your book of praise. In the beginning, man was created in the image of God. He was adorned in his mind with true and wholesome knowledge of his creator and of all spiritual things. His will and heart were upright, all his affections pure, and therefore man was completely holy. But rebelling against God through the instigation of the devil and through his own free will, he deprived himself of these excellent gifts and instead brought upon himself blindness, horrible darkness, futility, and perverseness of judgment in his mind, wickedness, rebelliousness, and stubbornness in his will and heart, and impurity in all his affections. The spread of corruption. Since after the fall man became corrupt, he as a corrupt father brought forth corrupt children. Thus the corruption has spread from Adam to all his descendants, with the exception of Christ alone, not by imitation, as the Pelagians of old maintained, but by the propagation of a perverted nature according to the righteous judgment of God. Man's total inability. Therefore all men are conceived in sin and are born as children of wrath, incapable of any saving good, inclined to evil, dead in sins, and slaves of sin. And without the grace of the regenerating Holy Spirit, they neither will nor can return to God, reform their depraved nature, or prepare themselves for its reformation. And now let us read together from what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 3. And there we also find a summary of God's word pretty much the same as what these three articles said, except the three articles of the Canons of Dort are a little bit more elaborate. Here we find God's word summarized as follows. Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? No. On the contrary, God created man good and in his image, that is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might rightly know God as creator, Heartily, heartily love him and live with him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify him. From where, then, did man's depraved nature come? From the fallen disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. For there our nature became so corrupt that we, were, that we are all conceived and born in sin. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? yes unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. After the sermon, we will sing together from Psalm 8, the stanzas 1, 3, and 4.
Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, suppose someone is arrested for theft and robbery. He walked into a bank and put a gun to the teller and told her to fill his bag with all the money she can grab. But the man gets caught. At trial, he says to the judge, I don't understand what happened. I have never done anything like that in the past. Just ask my friends and my relatives. I've always been an upstanding citizen. But now a month and a half ago, I had a blood transfusion in the local hospital. And I think that I received the blood of a thief. And so it's not really my fault. Of course, such an argument will not hold up in a court of law. We all know that's utter nonsense. But many people are like that. They blame others. They blame toxic substances in their blood. They blame their genes. Those who promote homosexuality, for example, do that. They say that homosexuals are born with an inclination to be homosexuals, and therefore they can't help themselves. We should just let them be and let them do what they were programmed to do. If you were to follow that logic through, then everyone who was born with some genetic defect, which would result in destructive behavior, causing harm to himself or to others, should not be interfered with. Blame the genes. Let them follow their instincts. Let them do what comes natural. The fact of the matter is that we are all responsible for our own actions, even if we are born with certain genetic defects. Yet, the Heidelberg Catechism seems to be at odds with this, doesn't it? The Catechism says that it is not God's fault that man sinned because God made man good and after his image. But then it says that our depraved nature came from our first parents, Adam and Eve. Because of them, our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. Do we now blame Adam and Eve? What do you think? How do we deal with that? Well, we have to let God speak to us from his word, and we should not depend on man's reasoning. We have to pull a straight line throughout. We have to understand what it means to be image bearers. And that's what I will preach to you about this afternoon. I will preach to you about the image of man. And then we will see three things. First of all, man in God's image. Secondly, man in Adam's image. And then finally, man in Christ's image. So I will preach to you about the image of man. First, man in God's image. Then, man in Adam's image. And then finally, man in Christ's image. The last time we saw, when we dealt with Lord's Day 2, that we cannot have any understanding of our sin and misery except if we know Christ first. And that's what we have to hang on here, hang on to here as well. We belong to Christ. If we do not fully understand our relationship with the second Adam, with Christ, and then we will not understand our relationship with the first Adam in paradise either. And we read about the first Adam, then when God created him, he created him in his image and in his likeness. 
when we speak about likeness or an image, then we speak about something resembling the real thing. And when you go to a wax museum, you can see near-perfect images of well-known celebrities. When you look at the image of a famous person, then you know right away who that is. Hey, that's President Bush, or that's Elvis Presley. There is no doubt in your mind. Well, that's also how our image resembles God. When he created us, we totally resembled him, except you and I, we are not like a wax statue. We are living human beings who move and who speak and who think. And so when God says that he made us in his image, then we reflected him, not in the way that we looked, but in the way that we acted, in the way that we thought, and in the way that we performed things on his behalf. And then there was perfect harmony between God and man. How do we explain then that man became so wicked and perverse? That is the question that the catechism asks. The catechism even asks whether or not it is God's fault that man became so sinful. It's actually quite an impertinent question. We dare to question God. We dare to question whether or not God made a mistake at the time of creation. But it is a question that's on all of our minds, isn't it? We have difficulty understanding the relationship between good and evil. And that's an age-old problem. There are thousands of philosophies and religions all over the world, each having its own interpretation. But they mostly come down to the same thing. They all recognize that there is a struggle between good and evil. And they believe that good and evil have always coexisted. And the hope of the world is this, that the good will win over the evil. As things now stand, they say, the outcome is uncertain. As human beings, we can do little about it. All you can do is try to live a good life and try to make this world a little bit better. But if things go wrong in your life, then it is not your fault. It is because of bad luck or because of circumstances or because of poor genes passed down to you from your parents or because of bad blood. That's the thinking of the world. Poor people. Modern-day Christians also struggle with the same things. Even modern theologians know that we cannot attribute evil to God. That clearly goes against the scriptures. But they do try to blame God through the back door. They say that God took a risk when he created man. He took the risk that things could go wrong. And he took that risk deliberately. But God, so they say, also took responsibility for that. And those modern theologians connect this then up with the atonement of Christ. The atonement, they say, did not just take place in order to reconcile man with God, but also to reconcile God with man. He 
at the cross paid the penalty for the risk that he took. And that was part of the penalty that Christ paid on Golgotha. Brothers and sisters, when the Lord God created man, we read in Genesis that he created him good. And later on, the Lord God says that his creation was very good. The words very good have to be understood to mean that man was at that time perfectly suited for God's purposes. And so that means that God made him perfect. The same thing is true of all creation. God does not take risks. Modern theologians also try to marry creation with evolution. The main flaw of the theory of evolution is not about the age of the earth. Their flaw is much deeper. It has to do with the way that they think about good and evil. For in the way of thinking of evolutionists, of evolutionists, the world did not start out good. They say that there was a natural struggle for life in the natural selection. They have a vision of a world where there is always the possibility of failure. The one life form does better than the next because the one life form has fewer flaws than the other. The one life form is no good and the next one is better. The one life, the one form of life survives and the other form of life dies off. It is the survival of the fittest. And then they see a progression here. And that's also where they put their hope. It is their hope that through natural selection, we will come to higher and higher life forms. They have the hope that life will progress in such a way that eventually everything that is bad will be done away with. But all this has to come about by accident. These people put their hope in accidental happenings which will do away with the bad and move towards the good. Again, poor people. You want to put your hope in that? Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, it is not by accident that you came here on this earth. No, the Lord God made a deliberate choice to create you and me. And he has a specific purpose for you and me in mind. For we are deliberately and very specially made. The catechism captures that very nicely. It says there that God created man good and in his image. And then it explains what that image refers to. He created man in true righteousness and holiness. The catechism could have used a lot more nouns and adjectives in that regard, but it sticks to that. Those are very, two very important adjectives. When you speak about righteousness, then you have to understand the richness of that term. Righteousness refers to a life without any conflicts, without any tension, without any disharmony. 
That is how God created us. We can now only have an inkling of that concept, for our lives are now full of turmoil and conflict and tension. But in paradise, man walked uprightly with God. He was his friend. He could talk about everything together and be in complete agreement. There was no misunderstandings between God and man. There were no secrets. There were no barriers. There were no misconceptions. And man did exactly what God required of him. Man knew exactly what God's will was. God could tell him what to do, and man knew exactly how to do it. That's how God created us. And the Catechism also says that he created us in true holiness. Holiness and righteousness are closely connected. Holiness has to do with glory and with purity. It has to do with beauty. Something that is truly holy is without any flaws. But these terms righteousness and holiness only describe us. They do not tell us the reason why God made us in this way. And therefore, the Catechism asks that God created man in this way so that he might rightly know God as creator, heartily love him, and live with him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify him. Now, that's quite a mouthful. But what it comes down to is this. You are created in communion, in fellowship, in a relationship with the Almighty Creator. And He wants you to respond to that. The fact that He created us in communion with Him means that we must also speak with Him and interact with Him. We have to give something back to Him. Else our creation would be meaningless. And God created us so that we could be in constant communion, constant contact with him. A back and forth. And God made us capable of such contact. He gave us all those qualities in perfection. And so evil was never part of God's creation. God did everything perfectly. But now the question comes, where now does sin come from? That brings us to the second point, dealing with man as image bearers of Adam. The catechism comes with a clear answer. It is because of the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. And there in paradise, our nature became so corrupt that we are all born and conceived in sin. That's the answer based on the Bible. You know all the proof texts. I don't have to go through that again. But we read together, we read that together also in Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. Okay, that's what the scripture says. But that doesn't really satisfy us yet, does it? How can God hold us responsible for the sin of Adam? How can God create a man and a woman who would rebel against him? 
He is such an almighty God, isn't he? Couldn't he have done that in another way? Couldn't he have thought of something better? Could he not have made each one of us responsible for our own actions? Look at what Adam did. He lived in perfect harmony. He had everything that he needed. There was nothing lacking. There was total bliss. How in the world could he throw that all away? Would I really have done the same thing under those circumstances? Why doesn't God put me in the same position as Adam in paradise? Why can he not treat me as a separate individual? Why doesn't he put each individual to the test? Well, brothers and sisters, the Lord God also created the angels. Angels have no genetic connection with each other. Angels do not procreate. Each angel is an entity on its own. The Lord God also put the angels to the test. Some of them chose with God and others chose with Satan. For God, let's remember that, God wants a creature who answers to him, who responds to him as the almighty creator in a positive way. That is why he also gave us and created us with a free will. Man was created with a free will, and so were the angels. But the fallen angels, because there is no genetic connection or covenantal connection between them, they can never ever be restored to their former relationship with God. It's impossible for a fallen angel to once again experience the glory of God. Impossible. God did not make a covenant with them as he did with us. He treated all the angels as separate individuals. But now, for you and for me, that's totally different. And that is because we are related to the first Adam. We are related to him through our blood and through the covenant that God made with him and his seed. And being related to the first Adam in this way, we are also related to the second Adam, to Christ. He took on our flesh and blood. We received the blood of the first Adam, but through faith we can also receive the blood of the second Adam. He deals with us corporately. He deals with his people who are connected to God and to each other. And that is why we also sit together here in church. That is why we do not worship him separately in our home. No, we are together God's covenant people. And that is the good news also given to us in Romans 5 verse 15. Paul says, For if the many died by the trespass of the one man... How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? And in verse 17 he says, For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant profession of grace 
and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. The connection with Adam, therefore, works in two ways. When Adam sinned, we became like him. Adam brought forth Seth. And then Seth was like his father Adam, a sinner. And Seth produced Enosh. He also resembled his father Seth and his grandfather Adam. And Enosh became the father of Kenan. And so it went on and on. The one human being produced the next human being, all being made in the image bearer, in the image of each other, and of their first ancestor, Adam. And so Adam's disobedience works its way through the generations, and now to you and to me as well. We are now all sinners. We are all in Adam's image. But now the connection with Adam is also made through Christ, the son of man, the son of Adam. Whereas the first Adam's disobedience is reckoned to us, the second man's obedience can also be reckoned to us through faith, through the promises of the covenant. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are now an image bearer of him. We come to the third point. Once again, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, if you want to understand the fall into sin, you cannot understand that except if you understand Christ and what he has done. He has revealed himself as the almighty God. He, together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, has created all things. He created you as a child of Adam, because you belonged to Adam, you were at that time also an image bearer of God before the fall into sin. And when, you, and when Adam sinned, you resembled Adam again and became a sinner as well. But what does the Lord God do now? He promises to recreate you in the image of Christ, of God himself. Now, how does this come about? It's not your doing. It's God's doing, and please remember that. Creation did not happen because of your decision, nor does recreation happen because of your decision. They do not happen because you seek God. That's impossible. Only God seeks you. And do you know when he did that? Of course you do. He gave you a new life at the time of his resurrection. He was triumphant over sin and Satan. It's all God's doing. God puts you within the circle of his protection and once again makes it possible for his face to shine upon you. In other words, the relationship between God and you has now been restored. And that is what Christ did. You may now now go to the Lord God in prayer and know that you can once again be in communication with him, just like it was in paradise. Of course, we all still live on this earth full of sin and misery, but that does not mean that our relationship with God has not been restored. It has 
through Christ and through the Holy Spirit who comes to you with his words and who softens your heart so that you may receive his word. Oh sure, now we only have a beginning of that restoration. We have a foretaste of it. And we need to be recreated, reborn daily. We are looking forward, however, to that final day when there are no longer any barriers between God and us, when sin will have been done away with totally. God is now in heaven and we are on earth. But heaven and earth are going to be reunited. We are going to be reunited with God our Father and be in total harmony with him. For that reason, Paul tells us in that piece that we read together from Ephesians that we now must no longer live according to our old nature, according to the nature that we received from the first Adam, but according to the nature that we received from the second Adam. You have learned Christ, he says. You were taught, says Paul in verse 22, to put off your old self and to put on the new created to be like God. And there you have those two words again, in true righteousness and holiness. And here you are right back, you are right back to paradise. Christ has recreated you in his image and now you also have reflect that reality in your life. Isn't the Lord our God a wonderful God? We cannot understand the great mind of God. There are so many things that we do not understand. We still have so many questions about the creation of this world and the place of sin in it. We now only see through a glass dimly. But for us, a light has begun to shine. And that light is Christ. In the life hereafter, we will have the fullness of that light. And then when all is said and done, and we see God in his heavenly glory. And then we will also fully understand the wonderful purposes of God with his creation. And then we will also understand fully why God created man in the way that he did. And then we will give glory to his great and wonderful name. But brothers and sisters, we can and we must do that now already. For once again, you have heard the great news of salvation through Jesus Christ who triumphed over evil. Give him the glory and live out of the promises that God has made for you. Amen.